Welcome back to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. My name is Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, the sports tech venture capital company. On this show, I interview top sports entrepreneurs, athletes, and executives all across the sports industry who are shaping and many times changing the game. Today, we're going to talk sports betting with Andrew Fabian, who is a successful entrepreneur, co-founder of Betcha Sports, and tech and gaming investment banker at Citibank. Andrew, welcome to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. Thank you, Wayne. It's great to be with you. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. You know, I've been, um, you've hosted panels that I've sat on. Uh, we've we've been to each other's, uh, you know, events and, and panels over the years. And it's really going to be exciting to hear, you know, your thoughts and all the things that are happening and, and your, your view on all the things that are happening across the gaming industry today. So let's jump right into it. You know, at City, as an investment banker on the gaming and tech side of things, I mean, as we all know, this incredible convergence is occurring between tech and gaming and sports. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts and views on, on, on what's happening right now. Absolutely. Yeah, we see a massive opportunity occurring right now where the sports world is becoming more professionalized than ever. It's becoming a true industry onto itself. And because of gaming and other types of monetization streams for businesses that are addressing the space, they're also starting to connect with other areas that were traditionally considered siloed and away from you know, sports or, or gaming. You're seeing areas like media, you're seeing free-to-play games that were typically off on their own, now becoming very much ingrained and integrated into the whole sports and, and really gaming space. And it's a really exciting approach that we have you know, here at City in terms of looking at it holistically and not saying, oh, you're a real estate person, so you're going to cover a brick and mortar uh, you know, casino business, or you're an internet person, so you're going to cover an online free-to-play game. We look at it as a partnership across the group. And we look to cover businesses that are making moves in this space holistically. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, that that must be you know a change for 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 you and the and and the rest of the team at City to now kind of almost like cross over. Um, and and how is that playing out today? And and is it is it working out well? And, and is it something that you think is sort of the wave of the future? And and sports and gaming is really pushing this now. It's working out really phenomenally well for us. And we measure things by how well it works for the clients and the level of engagement and excitement that we're hearing from the clients. And I think good examples of this are, I'm, I sit on the tech side of the house, but I'm regularly brought into conversations with the traditional operators like the Caesars, the MGMs and, and Tains to talk about you know, what's happening in the online world, the convergences that we were just addressing. And at the same time, I'm regularly bringing partners who have covered those casino businesses for 15, 20, 25 years into conversations with massive technology companies, as well as next-gen tech companies that are hoping to bring disruptive products into the online gaming market to share perspectives of how this industry works, right? There's just because things are new and being broken doesn't mean that there aren't lessons learned from an industry that's existed offline and in a particular part of the U.S. for many, many years. And same thing when you talk about geographies, where we're bringing in partners from Europe, 
who have gone through this over the last 15 or 20 years because their legalization came before our day, ours did. So there's lessons learned and we're bringing partners from London and elsewhere in Europe to talk to U.S. operators and U.S. tech companies. So it's really about the convergences across industries as well as across geographies. Well, it's really interesting to hear that. And, and you mentioned Caesars, and I think they've, they're have they a really interesting example of having an unbelievable physical presence, but at the same time have done an incredible job, even so early in this world. I mean, we'll get into this, Andrew, about the fact that, I mean, I, as I always say all the time is that we're only four years into this thing. And in the middle of this four years, we had this little global pandemic thing. So that, I, I you know, that you have to sort of say, maybe it's only been about two real years uh, that we that were in this in this world where there's 35 states that have legalized sports betting plus DC. I mean like there's so much happening or yep. so much has happened. but then you have a, a player like Caesars who has properties everywhere and has really leaned in on the digital side of things. Yeah, it's a you know really interesting business that's been at the forefront of moving from a traditional business into something new. And that's hard to do when your DNA rests somewhere else. It's difficult to become something new and reinvent yourself while still continuing to execute on your traditional business. But they've done a great job of it so far. We work closely with them. We advise them on the sale of the William Hill International business to 888. And things like that have allowed them to focus on growing the U.S. market. And it was really interesting to see what they were able to accomplish out of the gate here in New York, where I'm based, when we legalized back in you know, February to see them come out with I think, a really differentiated, uh, innovative marketing campaign that allowed them for at least a period of time to take number one market share. And I think it's little things like that that really put the world on notice that DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM have done a phenomenal job so far of cementing themselves in a sort of top tier. I think between them in, in sports betting and iGaming, probably 65 to 70% market share. But as you're talking about early innings, the race has just begun. Whatever metaphor you want to use, there is still ample opportunity, whether it's you know, folks like Caesars who are incredibly well capitalized, know the space very well, or next-gen names that people perhaps haven't even heard of yet, who, as we start looking at this, you know, two, three years from now, could very well be sitting in or at the top of that top tier. So it's, you know, it's an exciting time, still a ton of miles in front of us. And whether it's the you know, existing top tier, the kind of bubbling up second tier, or the folks who are just starting to bring things towards market, you know, they're all sort of angling for a different way to try and grab what's going to be a really big pie. Well, I'd, I'd love your thoughts on, on what you just brought up. I mean, you're not only, you know, a, a you know, successful investment banker, uh, but at the same time, you're an entrepreneur, you're a visionary, you see kind of what's coming down the pike. And when you look at the gaming industry today, you, you mentioned there's maybe some players that haven't even like reared their heads yet. We don't even know. We may, we may know some that are potentially potentially going to be there, but maybe others that are that we don't haven't even really thought about yet. So what, where, do you, where do you see that that all happening and kind of these emerging names that are going to be coming into the industry? 
definitely what you're alluding to there is what I think of as a second wave. And I think there's multiple fronts to that second wave. I think that there's on one part going to be some really large, well-capitalized businesses that have been successful in other areas touching sports that are going to come into the space in a big way. Fanatics, who we work very closely with, is a great example. The made moves like bringing Matt King in, who's a best-in-class executive, to you know, run their gaming business. Have also brought in some other great kind of working-level guys and, and, and women. And you've seen them taking kind of a differentiated approach. They've Their business started in merchandise, have moved into collectibles. They win with rights, they win with a database, and they win with their brand. And those are all things that are highly extensible into the gaming space, right? They've got a database of 81 million people. That's incredibly powerful. And frankly, a lot larger than the DFS database that existed for DraftKings or FanDuel, which they've been great at converting onto the sports books. But still, from a pure quantum perspective, that's a really massive database of sports fans. Now, some of them might be moms of kids or you know different types of people who aren't actually probably most inclined to be the betters. But the reality is that amongst that 80 million, there's a really large percentage or large number that is going to be inclined to do some sort of, uh, you know, real money gaming. Other folks like ESPN is an obvious name where, you know, so far they've taken kind of like an advertising and a content perspective, which is you know, what their bread and butter is. They're a media business and you know, they've sort of allowed themselves to roll out some content relating to gaming, monetize through partnerships but they could very well go deeper into the space. Other interesting businesses, and this is kind of from my tech side, what were called the FANGs, although they've all changed their names now, so FANG doesn't really work as an acronym anymore. But you know, look at what Amazon has done in terms of securing for long-term the uh, Thursday night football rights. Look at Apple making moves around you know, different types of sports streaming rights. It feels very natural that once you move into sports, live content, and streaming, that gaming, which I think is going to be integrated, particularly as we move towards more in-play betting, is going to become a part of that streaming experience. And those are the kinds of businesses that could very well kind of be moving into the space as well. And then another part of the second wave that I think a lot about is product innovators. Folks who have you know, kind of looked at this industry, and this is kind of the background where I came from. When I you know, went into the gaming industry 2017, 2018, when the Supreme Court was you know, first hearing the challenge to PASPA, I looked at the mobile products that were being used in Vegas, and I thought, these are way too isolated, they're way too transactional, and they're way too complicated. And so I thought about creating a more social, community-driven experience, something gamified, where it could be really a form of entertainment, where the possibility of winning money is just kind of a cherry on top beyond just the fun of participating in something that makes you really a part of the game. And that was what you know, drove us along with a couple of my co-founders to, to start Batcha. And when we sold that to Vivid Seats in December of last year, that created a great, even larger platform with a database, right? 15 million sports fans who buy tickets from Vivid Seats now have the opportunity to come and experience the Batcha uh, uh, gaming on the same exact platform as where they can buy tickets. So those are the kinds of convergences we think are going to happen. And so as I look at other product innovators, we look at companies like Underdog that just you know raised uh, a really interesting round from BlackRock and others yesterday. Uh, we look at Sleeper 
uh, you know, both of those names kind of connote the fact that they're coming from, you know, somewhere different. And we think there's a lot to that. Uh, I think they've created, you know, Sleeper with the, um, with the season-long uh, free-to-play fantasy has built up a great database. They've got a best-in-class user experience. And if they execute right, we think that's something they, they can bring to the sports book and ultimately iGaming side and become real players in the space. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this conversation and we certainly are coming from the same place as we as we look at what's next and you really think about it. And, you know, one of the things and, I, and I'd love to get your thoughts, you know, I, I look at kind of today's um, today's apps that are out there. Right. And, and I call them one point oh um, and I and I analogize it to, you know, the the Internet when, you know, when Amazon first came out, you know, Amazon was was a, was a good e-commerce site. But it didn't really know much about you, right? When I when I open up my, you know, say FanDuel app, and you open up your your FanDuel app, it shouldn't look the same, you know. I'm a big Philly fan. You're based in New York. Who who are your teams? You know, I've, you know, it, it should come up, right? I mean, that that's what should show first. Just like it knows that I need to reorder some razors or deodorant or whatever it is that Amazon presents that presents that to you. I think that's where. We, we, we're going to get there, but we're not there yet. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. I think from the product side, we are just scratching the surface of what the user experience is going to be. And I think it's not just important for today's users to have a better experience brought to them by the existing operators or by new ones coming into the market. It's also important as we think about it from an industry perspective to grow the pie. Right? Almost 85% of Americans self-identify as sports fans. A relatively minuscule percentage of those are actually betting on sports right now. And part of that is because of the experience. It's not something that's inviting to the mass market fan. So as experiences are brought to bear that are more tailored, more catering to a casual fan, to your prior experience on the app as you're talking about, right? They know what you like, both from data on the platform as well as to the extent it's allowable and permissible, you know, data ex that exists about you elsewhere, then they can create a more curated experience. And that flows into the whole convergence that we talked about. Because right? if you're bringing the media and the gaming together, then they know from the media side, you know, what games you like, right? What games you've watched and can leverage that data, what players you were particularly focused on. You know, when it comes to someone like Fanatics, you know, what jerseys did you buy? And so being able to leverage that data to say, hey, you might really like this prop about, you know, this player, you know, is LeBron going to score more than 22 and a half tonight because you know that that person just bought a LeBron jersey. That's not creepy advertising. That's creating something that is really a genuinely improved user experience that's going to create a more holistic, fun entertainment uh, you know, experience for the fan and create better sports platforms that can be better businesses with more profits. So with all this being said, how important is technology moving forward um, to, to really enable the operators to be able to do all these amazing things that, that we're talking about here? I think technology is 
mission critical on a number of fronts. You have some great companies like GeoComply that are sort of on the back end of technology. It's something that the sports gaming user doesn't know that they exist, but they're providing a incredibly important function in terms of making sure that users are in a legal sort of geographic spot at the moment that they're placing each and every bet. And then on the other side, more of the consumer facing side, technology, particularly mobile tech, that takes into account, like you were talking about with Amazon, improving the user experience, making it more seamless, making it more understandable, making it more fun. You have gaming developers, mobile gaming developers, free to play, I'm talking about in terms of gaming, who have been studying user behaviors for the last 15, 20 years, basically since the, you know, the internet came along and then when mobile devices came along, figuring out what really clicks with people. And as this industry, the real money gaming industry has raced to sort of get the tent poles up, there has not yet been that focus on how to create truly best in class user experiences. And that is what's coming next. We've talked about some really big, you know, players in the in the gaming industry uh, that you work with. What what does it really be, mean? If you can share with our audience, like, what does it really mean that you work with them? Like, what types of are you able to share with some of the types of things that you do for for companies out there? Absolutely. So the main functions that we provide are advice on things like mergers and acquisitions and raising capital, and then also financing around those different types of transactions. So on the you know, capital raising side, it's everything from private capital raises. And we just brought in a team led by a gentleman named John Colmer, who's best in class in the space and doing you know, private capital raises. He was previously at JP Morgan, who is you know, now spearheading our uh, private capital effort. And in today's market, that's more important than ever. We've gone from an incredibly robust, you know, record-breaking IPO market the last two years to an IPO market that is effectively shut right now. So you have companies needing to raise capital in different ways. Then you have public companies, particularly in gaming, who, because we're in the early innings, have not achieved profitability yet. And as a result of that, have negative cash flows. And that's to be expected when you're talking about you know, getting a business and a new industry you know, built up. Markets like California, Texas, Georgia haven't even really come online yet. So they need capital as well. And being able to provide different types of you know, structures, whether it's from our balance sheet uh, doing you know, direct financings or bringing in the right capital partners to hopefully add strategic value beyond whatever check they're writing for the businesses that we're working with. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, about you personally. Um, you know, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you, you know, you, you and your um, co-founders founded Betcha, but even before that, um, share with me kind of where you grew up, where you were always into sports, where you're always into gaming and kind of, how did you get to where you are today? I was born and raised here in New York City and grew up loving sports, playing sports, watching sports. I uh, feel incredibly lucky to be going to the Mets-Yankees game tonight. Um, I 
I'm a Mets fan, which felt like a good move in the 80s is, and has felt like a bad move ever since. That was the one way I rebelled against my father, who was a lifelong Yankee fan. Um, you know, but I started my career as a corporate lawyer. Uh, I was very lucky early on in my career to become the general counsel of a publicly traded tech company. I moved from New York to San Francisco to become part of that. I uh, was there for a period of hyper growth, uh, a company that grew its market cap from 50 million to 500 million uh, during my three years with the business. Um, I became increasingly involved in financing and more general business transactions with that company, decided I wanted to take my career more in a finance and business direction. So ended up going to Warden in Philadelphia for, uh, for two years for business school and went into uh, tech investment banking from there. I was with Credit Suisse. Uh, out in San Francisco, Frank Quatrone's uh, legacy tech group. Um, I caught the entrepreneurial bug while I was out there, uh, started what was originally a competitive fitness app that we ended up pivoting into a sports fan engagement platform. We white labeled the technology. We worked with a number of sports teams and leagues like the New York Jets, Major League Baseball, UFC, doing things like fan fitness competitions. Could you keep up with your favorite jet during training camp? They monetized it through partnerships with sponsors like the New Jersey Lottery. We ended up selling that business. And right around the timing of that was when I you know, happened to be out in Vegas looking at some of those apps when I had read that the Supreme Court uh, was hearing the case uh, challenging PASPA. And that's how sort of the seeds of, of Betcha originally came to be. I was incredibly lucky to have two wonderful and highly technical co-founders who are both now senior executives at Vivid Seeds helping to run their uh, their basically gaming operation or division along with another gentleman named Jason Shapiro who we brought in to, to run that business who's also now over at Vivid Seeds. And it's really about being surrounded by the right people. And I was able to draw from prior experiences as well as having the right people on the bus and with relatively small sums of money. We were you know, fortunate. We only raised $4 million. We actually had opportunities to raise more, but we raised it from the right people. We raised it from Tech Corp Capital, Matt Davey, uh, Benji Cherniak, um, uh, Sean Hurley, people who really knew the industry and were able to give us value-added advice. And you know, ultimately, the business reached a really interesting point at the end of last year where it could have gone and raised significantly more money and kind of gone it alone. But the view was that fantasy sports, which in Betch had gone to market with a real money DFS product, was probably a slowly melting ice cube and that ultimately you were going to have to go into sports betting and iGaming in order to be a successful long-term business. And the view is that it was better to do that as part of something bigger. The right deal and the right partners came along with Vivid Seats. Incredible business. They had just de-spacked with Todd Pol with Todd Bully. And it was really, I think, one of those one plus one equals you know, three or even 300 situations where you now have an incredible ticketing platform with a really innovative gaming platform that they're able to snap into it and excited to see what lies ahead for them. Well, you just touched on a, a, sort of my next question. Um, really, some of the, you know, what has it been like when building businesses, working at City? Have there been certain role models or other people that have been very, you know, helpful in, with you and your career? I mean, you mentioned Matt Davey, and I think 
I think we both, you know, have you know a, a lot of um, respect and admiration for for him and what he's done and and what he's doing right now, and that then his whole team at TechCorp and really, really just a, a really great group of people um, and and have such experience. But you know, you know, Matt and others. Who are some of the others that you've been able to sort of surround yourself with or learn from over the years to get to where you are today? Yeah, Matt was an incredible partner. He was you know, very you know, selfless and was able to give us, you know, in relatively short periods of time, I think incredibly impactful advice and insights that allowed Batcha to steer to a successful outcome and, and marriage with the Vivid Seats team. Um, beyond that, I had a mentor at the law firm I started my career with, a, a gentleman named Mel Katz, who was you know, very much at the you know, end of his career. He was a uh, you know, Harvard Law School trained, had worked at the SEC, had been ca called the Dean of Corporate Law in New York for you know, many years, had been practicing for like you know, 45 or 50 years when I started working with him. And he imparted a ton of knowledge to me, both about sort of the law itself, but also as a way to think about business and think about relationships. And it was his client that I ultimately went to work for and become the general counsel of. And that never would have happened if he hadn't been so open and supportive of me, making sure that when things went to the CEO, instead of him, it was his client. He didn't care at that point. He's like, Andrew, you do it. You, you did the work. I want you to form a relationship with this you know, CEO. And I mean, he probably saw it coming before I did that I would be able to go work at that business. The CEO of that business also became another incredible mentor to me. Uh, he was someone who came from the Wall Street and finance you know, background, taught me a lot about numbers, encouraged me to, to go to business school to round out my you know, quantitative and, and you know, financial skill sets. And you know, it sort of turned my career into a marathon, but it's one I've been really happy and joyful running every step of the way. And it's to now be you know, where I am in terms of uh, you know, having had you know, Betcha become part of something bigger and now being able to impart advice you know, through the city platform to the next generation of leaders in the space is a very fun thing for me, very rewarding and very gratifying. And I just wake up incredibly excited every day to whether it's come to the office or the virtual office to be doing what we're doing and to be able to interact with people like, you know, you, Wayne. And I remember, you know, first you're hearing about you and we were starting a business and, you know, knowing that you were a, a luminary investing in really you know, next generation differentiated you know, products. And then to be I remember at G2E last year sitting on a, a panel with you and being able to ask you questions and hear firsthand you know, what your views and where this industry was going. I mean, you had quotes, things you set up on that stage that I now put into books that uh, we use to discuss the industry with clients with. So I feel very grateful and lucky in that respect. Well, I appreciate that, Andrew. And and, and again, I, I think that you've you've accomplished so much and, and are doing so many really important things across the industry today. Um, you know, look, these, this, this is, you know, as we start to wrap up our, our 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show here again, and really appreciate you being on the show, Andrew. I mean, this this is a such an interesting time right now. Um, we we started the conversation off that it's early in the game. 
Um, I think it really is early in the game. I think we we agree on that. But at the same and 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 because of that, there's so much more that can be done. And there's so much opportunity for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial thinking um, inside of larger companies, the opportunities for to really just come with you know, new types of new types of things. So whether that's and then I want to ask, you know, if you're starting to, um, you know, see this, you know, like Web3 come to the world of gaming and augmented reality and other other types of new tech, do you see that 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 happening? Very much so. I think, you know, companies like Sorare, uh, Green Park Sports, that's largely been in stealth mode up until now, have been thinking about and building products for Web3 before anyone in the mainstream was even talking about Web3. And so while a lot of the products that they're going to launch is still very much on the come and probably a lot of the infrastructure that will enable their products to be successful hasn't fully been built out or been launched yet. There is an entire ecosystem that's bubbling up. And those are just two of probably a much larger group of businesses that are going to be in an incredible position through sports and gaming to be part of this Web3 entertainment ecosystem that's going to be a massive industry. Well, I think we can go on for hours and, and, and talk about all the things that are that are coming down the pike. Um, I, again, I think that it's really smart that you and your team at City have kind of brought the gaming and tech together uh, because that is that is what we need. It is what the future is going to be all about. And uh, again, just appreciate you taking your time. We've been really lucky to have Andrew Fabian, a successful entrepreneur and tech and gaming investment banker from City, on our 76 Capital Leadership Show. Andrew, thank you again for joining us and look forward to seeing you hopefully very soon. Thank you very much, Wayne. See you around soon. Absolutely. And everyone go out there and you, you know what you got to do. You got to just go out there and go make it happen. That's what it's all about. You heard that from Andrew. He's done that in his career. Uh, that's what entrepreneurs are going to be able to do today across the whole sports and gaming industry. And we at 76 Capital want to be there to support and help and, and make this industry something really incredibly special. So thanks everyone for joining our 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show today.